Hello, it's that time again. 6 degrees centigrade, which is 42.8 Fahrenheit, 93% humidity, so I've just got my head above water, 1007 millibars. The pressure the other day went really low, 900 and something, I forget what it was. At the moment, we've got sunshine. It's really difficult to tell. The weather changes literally hour to hour. We've had torrential rain, then an hour later, sunshine, and then an hour after that, pouring with rain again. We've even had hailstorms, really dreadful. But this is Britain, isn't it? This is what the weather does. It, it changes almost from minute to minute. Well, not quite, but certainly hour to hour. On my weather headline theme, or whatever we're going to call it, I've got a few here from the last couple of days. UK snow bomb mapped as minus 4C ice blast set to freeze Brits later this month. It's truth. Arctic polar vortex bomb set to unleash unusual cold weather period in large parts of the Northern Hemisphere. Meteorologists, I can't, I could, I'd never say that. Meteorologists said we could be in for 15 days of intense cold weather with snow covering the country for the first half of January. Well, we're in January now and I haven't seen any snow. Polar Vortex will bring 12 days of snow and blizzards to Scotland. What's this one here? Jetstream ignites. Really? I didn't think the jetstream caught fire. Oh well. Volatile 200 mile an hour cocktail of snow, rain and stormy gales. Weather maps show snow to hit UK in days as Polar Vortex brings minus 7 C freeze. Well there we have it. What is a polar vortex bomb? I've never heard of such a thing. It might be meaningful to the meteorologists. They are said it. Meteorologists. The weathermen. <laughs> That'll do. Oh, can't say men. Sorry. Weather people. That's better. Mustn't get arrested. No, seriously, it might mean something to them, but it doesn't mean anything to, to us, does it? Joe Public. Vortex bombs going off and the jet stream catching fire. I had an email from... Uh, where is it? I've got an email here. Alan, hello Alan. He says, can you do this during the summer as well? Because you have mentioned about sizzling weekends that turn out to be rain. Yes, I will, Alan. That's a good idea because we do get this in the summer. Daft headlines like Brits to be washed out in massive rainfall, never before known to mankind this weekend. And then we have a blistering heat wave for the entire weekend. It's quite funny. Good point, Alan. Yes, I'll make a note of that. I won't overdo it, though, because uh, you know, we don't want to become annoying, do we? When I say we, I mean us, me. <laughs> Talking of the weather, have you heard of the big snow of 1947? We saw a documentary on that the other day. Obviously, I don't remember it. I wasn't around. But we saw a documentary and it was absolutely dreadful. Houses were buried, literally buried under the snow. Rivers were frozen solid. I've got all this from the headlines on the, the documentary. Bombers, now this was 1947, so the war wasn't long over. Bombers that were dropping bombs were now dropping bread to isolated villages. I don't know how people survived. It was the snowiest winter ever recorded. And as I say, less than two years after the Second World War ended, food was already strictly rationed, and it lasted seven weeks in what they called a, a Siberian climate. Huge snowdrifts, and temperatures going down to minus 21 C. Railways frozen, factories shut down, power cuts, and farming, well, 
There was no farming. Crops were ruined. Livestock just died in the fields. Absolute disaster. I'd not heard of the 47, what they call the big snow. And of course the railway was powered with coal, the steam engines. The power stations for electricity powered with coal. People's home heating was coal. A lot of houses had a, well, most of them had a fireplace in every room, as our house has. So people were running out of coal. Industry was running out of coal. Everything was grinding to a halt. And of course, the inevitable, when the the so-called Big Thor came, floods, absolutely floods. They showed pictures of rivers bursting their banks, people's homes flooded, people having to live upstairs, still with no coal, no heating. You just can't imagine anything like that happening. And I was thinking, what if that happened these days? All right, all the power stations aren't coal-fired, we've got gas. But if there's no electricity, then your gas central heating won't work because there's no electricity to drive the pump and the boiler, or the electronics in the boiler. So gas central heating is no good if you've got no electricity. I don't know what would happen if that, if that happened today and the country ground to a halt. I really don't know what would happen. They called in the army, they called in the RAF, as I said, to, to drop bread on villages instead of bombs. A dreadful time. They were saying during the documentary that people had just been through the war, come out of that, and they were used to helping each other out, looking out for each other. And they reckon that helped immensely because of the community spirit. Everyone looking out for each other, helping each other. One family moved in, they moved out of their house and moved in with grandparents, I think, so as to cut down on heating and things like that. They took their sort of little bit of coal with them, so they all lived in one house while all this went on, which was a good idea. They were saying on the documentary that the weather forecast is far better these days. I know I'm always knocking the weather forecast because it seems to be useless, but they reckon people would have had a lot more warning because back then it came out of the blue, (laughs) excuse the pun, but literally out of the blue. It just started snowing and didn't stop. No one expected that. I'm not sure that a warning would help. What do you do to prepare? I suppose farmers could have brought the animals in from the fields, put them in the barns, But how do you prepare? To be honest, if people had had a few days' warning, they might have gone and bought out everything from the shops, stripped the shops of bread and everything, more like they have done here in in Britain recently. They've bought all the toilet rolls. Do you remember that? You probably heard that on the news. People going to the supermarkets and buying up all the toilet rolls. Goodness knows why they did that. Of course, that created a shortage. So back then, perhaps people would have stocked up on coal I don't know, then the coal would run out, so (laughs) what do you do? There was no water supply, of course, during the the big snow of 47. People were having to melt snow and then boil it to make it clean. I always thought rainwater or snow was clean. I suppose as it comes down through the atmosphere, it collects dust, does it, or whatever? I'm not sure. There's something else I saw on the telly. A chap was saying, I think he lived in Wales, he said, people go to Wales or wherever it was, I don't know. Perhaps it wasn't Wales. (laughs) And they drink fresh water out of the streams. Oh, look at this, crystal clear water. And they drink it, thinking it's good for them. He said, don't do that. Just head upstream and have a look. This isn't the rivers, this is the little streams. And he went upstream, and in the river there was a dead, what was it, a dead rat? Uh, A dead bird? I don't know, that doesn't sound very nice, does it? I saw another programme years ago, 
where people were drinking out of a stream and they were getting ill. Further upstream, there were some dead cattle and sheep. I don't know how they got there. They'd fallen in. Something had happened. There was a dead cow and a dead sheep or something. And of course, people are then ew, drinking the water. Not very nice. But I would have thought rain coming straight out of the air into, a say, a dish. would have thought you could drink that. Probably not worth risking it. Don't do this at home, as they used to say on the telly. Just going back to the big snow for a minute, of course everything was delivered by train. Coal was delivered by train, coal for your fireplace. That was delivered by train locally and then taken out by the coal lorry. Food was delivered by train, everything was. So the trains weren't working, it just, I don't know, just gets worse and worse, doesn't it? I really don't know, as I said, what would happen if we had snow like that these days. Seven weeks, 20 foot drifts, some of the drifts they showed you of the snow was actually covering the house. That's enough about snow. Let's talk about summertime, sunshine. We're now getting into January. It's still been pretty mild here. Apparently this weekend, when you're listening to this on Sunday, it will be very cold. I had a, a weather warning alert. See, they didn't have that back then. I've got an app on my phone. <laughs> Danger with Will Robinson. Well, it's going to be cold. And it does say, keep your heating at a minimum of 18 degrees. Look out for friends and neighbours. So we do have all these warnings in place, I suppose. Not that it would always help, though, would it? Right, that's enough about the weather. Let's move on to something better. I was going to move on to something better, but... Ah, they're moving off now. The dustman turned up outside, clanking around. Right, when they've gone, I shall continue. Oh, by the way, thank you for all your emails, as usual. I read them with interest and I try to answer all of them. Raysrants at protonmail.com. You know, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with myself. I haven't forgotten my email address for about a week now. <laughs> that must be a good sign. I was reminded recently of something that happened to me decades ago. I must have been in my late teens i got into the countryside with a girlfriend of mine. She was into wild flowers, pressing them, you know, and that sort of thing. And we drove up to this meadow where she knew there were a lot of wild flowers. We parked the car there and she's picking these flowers. But it was on the edge of a forest. I'm having a job to remember just where, I think it was on the way to Arundel in West Sussex. I, I must look into that. I'd like to go there. Well, when I've told you the story, perhaps, uh, perhaps I'll change my mind about going there again. I wanted to go and have a look in the forest. It was all pine trees, very close together pine trees. I wandered in there, and of course it was dark, although it was a summer's day, summer evening, I should say, it was dark. Looking up at the foliage of all the trees, you couldn't see the sky at all, no sunlight got in. As we wandered further into the woods, it became even darker. And on the forest floor, well, it was just decay. Pine needles, old branches that had dropped off the trees were just rotting decaying. The floor was just devoid of life. There were probably insects under there, but no plants, nothing. It was just dead. She didn't like it. She wanted to go back to the car, which she did. And I said I wouldn't be too long. I wanted to have a look further into the forest. I walked further in. I found a stream, a little stream trickling through the forest, which was lovely. But I got lost. When I decided to go back to the car, I got lost and dusk was falling. The forest was becoming darker and darker. Anyway, thats uh, I'm not going to tell you the rest of that now because I think that would make a good ghost story. I know quite a few of you listen to my ghost stories on YouTube, so I shall save that. 
It's a very strange tale, very frightening at the time. And although I said I'd like to go back there one day, I'm not too sure that I would. Certainly not into the forest. There was something, I don't know, something there, something evil in that forest. I shall start working on that story as soon as I can, because I think that would be rather interesting to those who are interested in that sort of thing, of course. Not everyone's cup of tea, which is understandable. But I do know that a lot of you, from the emails anyway that I get, a lot of you do like the ghost stories. You can probably tell from my nasal, my nasal, nasal sound that I've still got this cold. It's going on and on. It's incredible. Presumably it'll disappear one day. Well, of course it will. I've been asking around and everyone that's had this dreadful cough and cold, they reckon three weeks. So I think I'm about, am I two weeks in? No, I'm not. I'm only about a week into it, so could be another two weeks. I've just ordered a new audio mixer, which hopefully will turn up tomorrow. Quite an expensive one. Well, expensive for me anyway. I want to improve the audio quality of the podcasts. And I've now got a decent microphone and the audio interface and all that. Anyway, I've ordered this mixer. And Trish was saying to me, she said, well, why, why order that? Why you spend money on that? when you sound awful anyway, because of your cold. But a cold won't last forever, will it? It will go. And then I can sound my usual self, which isn't too good either. (laughs) Oh dear, I mustn't laugh because it makes me cough. Have you all had coughs and colds? I'm sure you have. Keep hearing stories of COVID going around the place. I just wish we could get to some better weather so I can get out into the garden. I know I say this every time I speak to you, I don't mean to be repetitive, but I really do want to get outside. This morning, as the sunshine was out a little bit, I started to rearrange the patio, ready for the tomato plants. I know it's very early, but I'm keen to get on. While I was out there, I just thought back to when I was a child. My parents didn't have a patio. And then I thought about my friends' back gardens, you know, school friends that I'd been to. No one had a patio, or what they call a patio area. At the back of the house, there was a path, perhaps a border with plants, and a lawn. And that was it. There was no veranda, patio, whatever you want to call it. I think in America, don't you have verandas? Is it veranda or a terrace? I don't know why they're called patios anyway. It's just a paved area. But no one had that sort of thing back then. And I thought about all my friends' gardens that I'd been to when I was at school. Not that I had friends at school. (laughs) But when I was working, I remember going round colleagues' houses, uh, their parents' houses, and later on their own. No one had a patio. No one did barbecues. It just wasn't a thing back then. In the summer, people went out. They went to the beach or they went to the woods. If they were in the garden, they sat, I don't know, somewhere on the grass, somewhere on the lawn, deck chairs, perhaps a little table set up. No one had a sort of designated area. So I don't know when patios started to come in, and barbecues, of course. It's very interesting, the older I get, or anyone, I suppose, to see the changes over the years, over the decades, the changes slowly happening each year that comes in, each year that goes out, things change. Patios appeared, barbecues appeared. I remember first, I forget when it was, which year it was, but I do remember the term barbecue being used quite a bit. We're having a barbecue this weekend. What's a barbecue? We didn't know here in Britain. We just didn't know what a barbecue was. Never heard of it. 
the trend now seems to be moving away from barbecues. We got rid of our brick barbecue. I pulled it all down because it was such a palaver of standing there in the summer heat. The charcoal is red hot. The sun's red hot. I don't know about the stuff cooking. I was cooking as well. Plus, you can't mingle with the guests. You can't have a chat with people because you're busy. And you don't wander off, otherwise the sausages catch fire or something. And burgers fall into the flames, which that's, I remember pulling them out. No one's looking. I'll grab that one, pull it out, put it back on top. And they were OK. They just got a little bit of ash on them. That's all right. No one noticed. One or two of them fell on the ground. I did chuck those away. But the point is with barbecues, they're such a palaver. I'm only saying all this because summer is on the way and we will have people round, yes, the family, especially on a Saturday. But it's more of a, a buffet, you know, we'll get the food ready and if there is any cooking to be done, well, we do it in the kitchen on the gas cooker, you know, chuck it out in the garden on a, a plate when it's done. Maybe barbecues are for younger people, I don't know. I think also back then in the 50s, for example, people didn't sit in the garden so much. They grew vegetables, especially the you know the dad of the family. He would be out there tending the run of beans, the vegetables, all the plants, even through the winter. Dad would be out there doing the Brussels sprouts and other winter veg. The gardens back then weren't so much somewhere to go and sit in the sun. Us kids played out there. Yes, children were always in the garden in the summer, but parents didn't tend to sit out there. I know there were deck chairs and sometimes they'd perhaps have a cup of tea out there, but that was it. They didn't use the garden as people do today, you know, gatherings, all come round for drinks one evening, all sit in the garden, a little bit of music going, sun setting, it's a lovely warm evening, sipping a cold beer as you watch the sun go down, bottle of wine in an ice cooler thing, chilling nicely, lovely Listening to the crickets, well, we can't hear, we don't have crickets. I wish we had crickets here. Whenever I see a TV programme, and it's night time in America or wherever it is, they've got crickets going in the background. It's lovely. I love the sound of crickets. Daughter number one gave me a couple of loudspeakers that look like rocks, and you put them in the garden somewhere amongst the bushes. And what I did, I brought the wires into the, to the computer and a little amp, and I had a continuous loop of crickets and people would come round in the evening in the summer and they'd say oh you've got crickets because they're going <coughs> just like that <laughs> and people were amazed you've got crickets how come you've got crickets I don't, I don't know I think the sound of crickets just make people feel that it's a lovely warm evening because that's what you get in warm countries isn't it I remember being down in Mediterranean type countries sitting there in the evening with the crickets going and the rats walking around the palm trees. Have you seen that in Spain? I was in the garden once, many years ago, just relaxing in this garden where we were staying, and there's rats walking along the, the power cables. The electricity to each uh, each villa, each place, was up in the air, not underground, near wires in the air. And there were rats walking along the power cables, big rats as well. And some of them came down the poles into the garden. Not very nice. That's one thing we don't have here in England, poisonous spiders and snakes and horrible things like that. Having said that, we do have the adder. The adder is a, a snake. They're only dangerous. I mean, their bites can kill you, I suppose, if you don't get it treated. But they will only bite or attack if you tread on them. 
If they're basking in the sun across a, a path, say in the countryside, they will slither away if they hear you coming. If they don't hear you and you walk on them, then they will bite you. Adders want to keep away from humans as much as us humans want to keep away from adders. So normally it's okay. It's just that if you don't see it, whenever we walk in the country now in the summer, I'm walking along looking at the path because I have come across them locally, just up in the woods, up on the downs. I have come across adders. They just lay in the sun, basking in the sun across the path. I don't believe it, as Victor Meldrew would say. Just had this on my iPad. UK snow forecast. Here we go again. New weather map shows Arctic blast descending on Britain. I think these people are having a bit of a joke, aren't they? All these headlines of blasts and snow bombs and what is going on? I still haven't seen any snow. I think they've had a sprinkling up north somewhere, but nothing down here. We've had wind, rain, we had sleet. No, not sleet, it was hailstones. But what's all this Arctic blasting going on? <laughs> the trouble is, the weather forecast people, it's going to be a little bit like the boy who cried wolf. Ice blast, ten feet of snow coming tonight. They go on and on about all this weird stuff that's going to blast Britain. Snow and ice is going to wipe Britain off the map and all this rubbish. In the end, people will say, heard it all before, nothing ever happens. Boy who cried wolf. And there'll be a weather warning, which is true and actually happens, and we won't be prepared for it. I think the best weather forecast system was what my old nan had up in uh, when she lived up in Surrey. She'd come down and visit us, and she'd go down to the sea. It's only a mile away. And she'd collect seaweed and hang it up just outside her back door. She had a kind of porchway, and she hung it up there. If the seaweed's dry, uh, I think it's going to be dry weather. If it's damp or something, I can't remember what the system was, but she'd just hang up seaweed and she'd go by that. Compared with our weather forecast system these days, it was pretty accurate. And they were saying recently on the telly about weather forecasting, look at your barometer, you know people tap it. The higher the pressure, the more likely it is to be dry and sunny. As it is now, it's Saturday morning now. Blue sky, sunshine, lovely. Six degrees which is, uh, where did I write it, 42.8 Fahrenheit, so still pretty chilly, but lovely weather. Look at the barometer. If the pressure's falling, who was it asked what a barometer was, what the millibars? Someone asked me. I did answer, didn't I? If the pressure's falling, then you're likely to get rain, and if you look on the barometer scale, or the glass, uh, it says stormy weather, rain, and at the other end, sunshine and whatever it says. That is pretty accurate way of forecasting what's to come. I like the barometer. Every morning I go downstairs. We've got five, I think I've told you. I tried collecting them once, I don't know. It was silly, we've got five. So I go around tapping all the barometers. Just going back to the big snow of 47, I was talking to a lady this morning who didn't want to be recorded, unfortunately. She's in her 90s. She remembers the 1947 winter. And she said that she remembers grabbing a tray and going up this hill at the back of her house and sliding down. She didn't have a toboggan. She slid down on this tray. A lot of kids did that. They grab a tray from the kitchen, the dining room, and use it as a sledge or toboggan. And she said the thing is that in those days, girls didn't wear trousers. They didn't have jeans, of course, back then. Girls didn't wear trousers. They all had skirts or frocks, as she called it. 
And I said, well, you must have been frozen. She said she was. Her words exactly, her legs were red raw. I did notice on the documentary, these kids, they were all dressed up. They had hats, coats, scarves, gloves, balaclava even. They had all the gear, Wellingtons, everything. But a skirt or a frock, so they've got bare legs. And she, she said that she's sitting on this tray going down, knees up, of course, because she's got her feet on the tray, absolutely frozen. I wonder why they didn't have trousers back then. Going back to the 50s when I was at school, primary school, that is, all the girls had skirts or frocks. When we went over to the woods, if there were any girls with skirts or frocks, none of them wore trousers. I don't know when it was that girls started wearing jeans. I don't, when did I have my first pair of jeans? Well, it was in the 50s, because I remember getting in from school. I must have been eight, and then going over to the woods. So that was 59, wasn't it, when I was eight, was it? Yeah, 59. And some of the girls did wear jeans, so they were starting to come in late 50s, early 60s. I remember Tricia saying, that at her school, they weren't allowed to wear trousers. They had to wear skirts. And this is the 70s, of course. And in a very cold winter, several of the girls in her class, they went in in trousers. They said, you know, we're, we're not going to freeze. And uh, they were sent home. And there was quite a, a to-do about it. That's an old expression, isn't it? There was quite a to-do about it all. And the girls won. And in the end, the school changed the policy. They could wear trousers if the weather was that bad, if it was that cold but they were sent home for wearing trousers. I mean, these days, from what I've heard or read anyway, boys could go to school in skirts because it's their prerogative or something. I don't know. If I'd gone to my school back in the 60s wearing a skirt or a dress, I don't think I'd be here today. I would have been set upon. I don't know what would have happened. I dread to think. I remember the heating system breaking down at our school one winter and we're all hoping we were going to be sent home. no. Go and get your coats, go to the cloakroom, all put your coats on, put your scarves and hats and gloves on and all, all our gear. And we're all sitting in this classroom. I don't know what the temperature was. It was very, very cold and we're shivering, sitting in this classroom. And even the teacher, you could see he was visibly shivering at times. You wouldn't get away with that these days. It's, it's just totally different, isn't it? Now, is that good or is that bad? Should children be taught that, well, you know, you have to mend and make do and put up with things, and if the heating goes off, well, put a coat on. You know, don't be a wimp. Man up. <laughs> Man up. Put your coat on. Put, put your gloves and your scarf on and stop moaning. Was that a good thing? Or should it be, oh, hang on, children, it's gone below a certain degree. Right, everyone go home. All go home to your mums, <laughs> and she'll look after you. Or get a lift home, of course. You don't walk home. I was talking to my mum about that this morning. She said, when I was at school, we had to walk there in the snow and back again. I remember walking to the snow in that winter. And I said to her, you can't say that these days in front of youngsters because they don't want to hear it. When you were a girl, when you were a boy, we don't want to hear about that. People don't like it, do they? I've said that. Oh, you know, when I was at school, I used to walk there and back so many miles a day, no matter what the weather. And they don't like it. They don't like hearing it. <laughs> I think that's why I like telling them, because they don't like hearing it. I've still got this cold. It's two weeks now, I think. And I still sound all blocked up and bunged up. We're going to our club tonight. Quite a, a gang of us. So my idea is, in fact, Trish said, if you don't feel very well, go home. 
and she'll come back with the rest of them later on. And I did say to her, that was my plan. I was going to play on this cold. If it's horrible round at the club, if I don't like the music and it's too busy and loud, I'll just say, oh, I'm feeling rough. Oh, dear. That's what I used to do at school. To my mum in the morning, a Monday morning, I'd say, oh, I really feel ill. Oh, dear, I feel dreadful. I can't go to school. Yes, you can. Go on. Chuck me out of the house. I had to go to school. Again, was that a good thing? Or is that some form of child abuse? I mean, today that would be frowned upon. You can't do that. The poor child is ill. You can't send him to school. Ill, my foot. I wasn't ill at all. But I might use that tonight as an excuse at the club. Having said that, it might be real. Because colds are always worse at night. I don't know why that is. In the night and first thing in the morning, colds are terrible. During the day, you kind of cheer up a little bit. I remember at our school, one of the lads went down into the boiler room and he he thought, his idea was, if he turned the heating off, we'd get sent home, which was a pretty daft idea because the caretaker or whoever it was that looked after the boiler, he would go down there, realise it's turned off and put it back on. He mucked about with some taps and what happened... (laughs) It's not funny, well, it was... He flooded the boiler room, basically. He turned some tap on. I don't know what he did, because I didn't go down there. Not with him at that time, anyway. We used to have a look down there and see what was going on. He flooded the boiler room, and, of course, then the heating was off. We weren't sent home, which was his original plan, which was a great plan, but not the way he did it. He flooded the boiler room, and we had no heating in the school for several days. But still they didn't close the school. I don't know back then. Oh, no, not closing the school. Put your coat on if you're cold. Whereas these days, heating's broken down, that's it. Everyone had two weeks off. (laughs) Or a month, a month off. Some of the things we did at school, not so much primary school, but the secondary school, some of the tricks we got up to were dreadful. Cut the coax cable to the TV so we didn't have to sit there and watch half an hour's worth of some boring TV programme. Change the school radio system instead of the BBC Home Service, was it uh, for schools or whatever programme, we changed that to tune into Radio London or Radio Caroline, the Pirates. So when the teacher turned the speaker on in the classroom, right, two o'clock, everyone, settle down, we're going to listen to BBC Home Service for schools. There's a pirate station playing music. Of course, we're all cheering. Hey, hey. The teacher's fuming and stormed out because I knew where the radio gear was in this secret cupboard. Well, I say, well, it was secret. No one knew where it was, I don't think. Only a few of us. And being into radio, of course, I had to find out where it was. And it was locked. But this other kid, he, <laughs> I think he must have grown up to be a, a safe cracker or whatever they're called, because he was good at picking locks. He'd open the padlock and let me in so I could change it to another station. There were all sorts of things we got up to back then. It was, I've always said how much I hated school, but there were some good times. What's that record? Even the bad times were good. No, it was only the bad times that were good. When we were bad, I mean. When we were being bad, school was great fun. If we were being good and complied with everything, it wasn't fun at all. I think I might have told you before. I've done so many podcast episodes now, I don't know what I've told you or what I haven't. But the bell, there were electric bells that went off all around the school when it was lunchtime or time to go home, that sort of thing. And there was a a time switch in this cupboard, in the radio cupboard. 
and I, was it four o'clock we finished? No, it's quarter to four. That's it. It was quarter to four that school ended. The bells went off at quarter to four. And I went in the cupboard and I adjusted the time switch. So they went off at half past three. So we could all leave school early. It was brilliant. On that day that I'd adjusted the time switch, half past three, ding, 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 or throughout the entire school, the bell's going. Of course, kids are grabbing their books. They're piling out of classrooms. Our teacher was, hang on, hang on, what's the time? He looked at the clock. He said, no, 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 it's half past three. It's early. You know, sit down, sit down. Of course, it's too late. We're all piling out of the classroom. Kids all piling out of the, the school itself to the bike sheds. No one ever found out that it was me. I didn't even tell my friends. Well, I didn't have any friends to tell, but I didn't even tell the other children in my class, children, teenagers we were by then. I didn't tell them. And the next day, the headmaster, when we went in for assembly, you know, you would have to go into assembly, and the headmaster's up on the stage. Whoever did that, we will find out, and you will receive the cane. We will find out who did it, because I'm sniggering. No one knew it was me. Absolutely no one. And I got away with it. Now, that was a good day at school. Another time, we were all cycling to school, either cycling or walking, and there were a load of kids coming in the opposite direction, shouting out, school's closed, school's closed, go home, school's closed today. So, of course, all us lot on our bikes, hundreds of us, there were 600 at my school, we're all saying, right, this is it, great. We're all turning our bikes round and cycling home. And it was a trick. These kids, they were <laughs> having a laugh. And I don't know how many, but there were loads of kids that turned round and went home. And the following day... We all went into school as usual. And, of course, then we discovered that it was a hoax. And the teachers were not happy. They're looking through the register. Right, you weren't here yesterday. You weren't here. You weren't here. What's your excuse? People were saying the school's closed. We turned round and went home. And, of course, we all got lectured. Oh, the headmaster, first thing in the morning, he was, he was miserable. He was always miserable anyway. He was moaning and groaning. You should have come to the school to check for yourself. Woe betide anyone in future. Woe betide. That was a good one of his. Woe betide any boy that does that again. <laughs> he thought he was frightening. He wasn't. We just thought he was stupid. But that was a good hoax. That one. I had a day off. So that was another memorable day. That was another good day, I was going to say, at school. Not at school. Then there's the time that a friend of mine blew up one of the toilets, he built this bomb. He was a friend of mine, actually, in many ways. I only had one, probably out of the 600 boys at my school, I think one or two I could... No, one could class as a friend. David, his name. Won't mention his surname. Wonder what he's doing now. He used to like building bombs. He blew three fingers off his hand, his left hand, three fingers. He was in his shed, his dad's shed, building a pipe bomb. Oh, when I say a pipe bomb, I don't mean with TNT or uh, Semtex or anything. Red match heads, you know. Stuff them all down a pipe and then carefully bang the end over. And Well, the thing blew up and blew his fingers off. So that was a, a memorable day for him, I suppose. But he blew up the toilets. He built this bomb, put it down one of the, you know, the porcelain toilet pans, the bowl, and he set the fuse off and did a rudder. And, of course, there's this huge explosion. Poof! And the toilet, well, the window shattered. The toilet bowl was just in pieces. There's water flooding out everywhere. He didn't get caught. 
The headmaster, he went, again, he was always going mental. This time he went absolutely ballistic in assembly the next day. Who did that? Woe betide any boy, Corner. <laughs> You'll be expelled. Kids were expelled back in those days, but that had to be something pretty serious. I think he would have been expelled for blowing up the toilets. That is pretty serious. Is it serious? What did you do at school? Anything more serious than that happened at your school? I'd be interested to hear. Raise rants at protonmail.com. I've remembered the email address yet again. Things are certainly brightening up at the beginning of 2024. People these days do say there's not enough discipline in school, which I agree with. But going back to my school days, yes, there was discipline. There was the cane, you know, you'd get walloped, six of the best. There was discipline. I think all it did was teach us to be careful. If you're going to be bad, then do it carefully. Don't get caught. That's all it taught us to do. Don't get caught. Having said that, I do think that there is lack of discipline today. From what I've heard, anyway, I mean, obviously I'm not at school, but from the things I hear, sometimes I think, what are the teachers doing? And of course, we did have to call the, the teachers, sir. We had a couple of lady teachers. We had to call them miss. Yes, miss. No, miss. And they called us by our surnames. Blogs, what are you doing? Smith, stop doing that. When I fell off my bike and ruptured my liver when I was 14 years old, that was it. I left school then. I didn't go back because the you know, convalescent time in those days was ages. But not one of the kids from school, I know I, I've said I didn't have friends, but not one kid came to see me to see how I was. My parents obviously told the school what had happened and I wouldn't be back. So word would have got round. Not one kid came to see me. Nothing to my parents. How is he? Hope he's all right. Wish him well, all this. I, th I, think, I think they were all pleased to get rid of me. I expect they're thinking, oh, that's good. Now we can watch the TV properly. We can listen to BBC uh, programmes for schools. And the time switch won't be fiddled with on the, the school bell. No, they didn't know it was me anyway. But I did think as the weeks went by that it was summertime just coming up. So it was a good time to rupture your liver. If you're going to do it, don't do it in the winter. And I was sitting out in the garden, relaxing. It's great. All the other kids are at school, waiting for the summer holiday to come up. They're all in school. I used to see them cycling down my road. I'd look out of my bedroom window. And there they were, cycling down the road. I didn't have to go anymore. Bliss, absolute bliss it was. Going back to the winter, which is a kind of theme of this episode, isn't it? In the, <laughs> in the playground, of course, there's snow everywhere. We're throwing snowballs at each other and at the school windows and snow's going in through the doors, you know, into the corridor. So there's the old headmaster one morning. Don't throw snowballs. You're not allowed to throw snowballs. And we built a snowman and with rude bits on it. <laughs> well, we were, what, 12, 13, something like that. Yes, my last winter there, I was yeah, 14, I think. I left just, yeah, coming up to the summer. And we had this lecture... Don't throw snowballs, don't do this, don't do that. Of course, all that did was make us do it even more. If you tell a kid not to do something, he'll do it even more, won't he? Well, he would if he was a pupil at our school. <laughs> People have said to me, if I mentioned that I left at 14, they've said that must have been a huge disadvantage for you, going out into the workplace, cut your education off at 14, because the minimum age was 16, wasn't it? And I've said not at all. It actually gave me an early start on other kids. I was able to get out there, do an apprenticeship, 
because I went to work at 15. I don't think that was legal in the 60s. I think you had to be 16 to start work. But the radio and TV workshop I went to, they weren't bothered about how old you are. Are you keen? Are you interested? Can you get here on time? Do you want to learn? Yes. Right, come on then, start Monday morning. (laughs) That was great. So in a way, I had an early start. The other kids had to stay there till they were 16. I was a year in front of them, I suppose. Mind you, I remember some of the other kids. I used to see that there was one in particular. He worked in a material shop selling curtain material. I went in there just to laugh at him because he was one of the bullies at school. And I went in there and I said, oh, what are you doing? Measuring out material, selling curtain material to old ladies. And he didn't like that. Another chap worked in an off-licence. I remember going in there. He wouldn't sell me beer. You're not 18. I said, well, neither are you. You shouldn't be working in here. You've got to be 18 to sell alcohol. He said, yeah, well, they don't know that, so shut up. And I said, well, you sell me my beer, you know, I'll keep quiet. And he did. He sold me my cans of beer or whatever it was. Was it a party seven? I think we were having a party one weekend. Do you remember parties? Watney's party seven. They also did a party four. So whenever I wanted any alcohol, I went into his shop. Well, it wasn't his, he just worked there. But very often he was just on his own. I was surprised, actually, that I got a job at 15 and he was selling alcohol. He was the same age as me. What, that was 17 at the time? Or 16, even. But no one seemed to check. You go for a job. No one asked me for a birth certificate or any proof of how old I was. Perhaps back then no one cared. I don't know. Perhaps that's why people keep saying happy days. They were happy days. I've just popped out into the garden because it's such a lovely day. 14.9, the thermometer says, under our patio roof. 14.9. That's incredible. Pond's looking good. There are buds on the fig tree. I'm just looking at the fig tree now. Covered in buds. Of course, it's been so mild. We've got geraniums here that are still in flower. And we're almost at the end of the first week in January. The raspberry plants, they've got little buds on them. The trouble is we're going to get a hard frost. We're going to get really cold conditions. And what's going to happen is all these buds will be killed. They'll freeze, they'll drop off. That's the problem with the the British winters. You think it's spring, the plants think, oh, look, the spring's here, it's quite mild. Suddenly, ice, and they all die. Well, the plants themselves don't die, but the buds do, which doesn't do the plants any good, of course. It is really nice out here. The lawn needs cutting, of course. That's uh, not looking too healthy. But we're not far off now. Anyway, I just had to come and have a quick look out in the garden. The Boston ivy is still alive. There are one or two very tiny buds on that. Honeysuckle, that's evergreen, of course. That's looking good. Okay, I bored you enough with the garden. I should go back in. Although it's nearly 15 under the patio roof, out here, it's only about, I don't know what the temperature is actually out in the garden. It's a bit chilly. Children don't seem to feel the cold, do they? You see kids on their way to school these days in just a a shirt and perhaps a a blazer, which is all open, the shirt's hanging out, and it's absolutely freezing. That little trip to the garden was really nice, but uh, I did get a bit chilly out there. I've never understood why some men wear shorts, okay, in the summer, but all through the winter. We had a postman once, a few years back, I don't know where he's gone now, shorts all year round. 
He looked smart enough, they were decent shorts, but in the winter he came round once in the snow. And I opened the door, I had to go and speak to him. I said, are you not freezing cold? Oh, no, no, he said, no, no, I'm fine. Shorts, when there's snow around. I only wear shorts in the summer if it's a really hot day, otherwise I don't, I put my jeans on. Talking of the winter, Gary's still all right, the tortoise, he's, uh, he's sleeping well, hibernating well. Black sky coming across now from the north over the downs. That's not a good sign. The cherry tree out the front, that's got buds on it. Everything is budding, isn't it? It's not good. It's too early. I can't keep out of the garden. You know, even when it's raining, I'm standing there under the patio roof, looking at the lawn, looking at the plants. When can I get out there? I'm, I'm so keen to get out there. Anyway, we're getting there slowly. I mustn't wish my life away, must I? Just a quick clip that I recorded in the woods. This was last summer, or was it spring? Just a little reminder of what's to come. What I am looking forward to is having the windows and doors open. Anyway, let's move away from the winter, shall we? We've spent enough on the winter of 47. Then there was the winter of 62, 63, which I remember, of course. The winter of 2018, was it, that I don't remember. Apparently the country was gridlocked with traffic, snow, everything was broken down. I don't remember that. So let's talk about something. What is it they used to say on Monty Python? And now for something completely different. If you have any ideas for podcast episodes this year, let me know. Raiserants at protonmail.com. Be good to hear from you. I do have a list of ideas that people have sent in and I am slowly working through the list. But it's always interesting to have more ideas, so I've got a really good choice. They were talking, I've just had my lunch and watched the telly, they're talking on the telly about people doing away with pens and pencils. We don't need pens and pencils anymore. That was the debate they were having on one of the news programmes. They were saying that exams, when you do an exam, you should be able to type it rather than use a pen and write out your answers, type on a computer. That would make the examiner's job a lot easier because you can just scan the thing and put it in, into a computer and it'll give you marks. But, but I can't imagine a world, well, I suppose I can't imagine a world without cash. Now, a world without pens. I've got my biro here. I scribble notes. They were saying, well, people put notes on their iPhones and their iPads. Well, I don't. If I'm recording now, and I think I must mention so-and-so, right, hang on, scribble, scribble, scribble. I'll mention that in a minute, because my memory is bad. I forget things within seconds. If I were to use my phone to make notes, I've got to get the phone out, find the app to make the notes, type in there whatever it is I want to say while I'm talking to you, which is all daft. Why don't I just write on a bit of paper, as I've got here? Vegetables. That was something to do with the gardens that people used to have in the old days. They grew vegetables. Well, I'm not going to open my phone, find the writing down note app and write vegetables, am I? It's daft. I think people are trying to get too much ahead of themselves. Let's do away with cash. Let's do away with pens and paper and pencils. We don't need all that. It's silly. Maybe one day in the future, possibly, yes. For example, if I were to use a phone to make a note... If I could just say to it, notebook, write down vegetables, and it's done. And then notebook, what did I say? You said vegetables. <laughs> but even then, I can't do that while I'm talking to you. And what about people that are on the phone? 
They're having a chat on the phone. Yeah, hang on, I'll write that down. What time was that? They got the phone in one hand and writing with the other hand. I suppose you could say, well, put the phone down, have it on speakerphone. But then how do you put a note on your phone if you're talking? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think all these ideas people come up with, futuristic things, no cash, no pens, no pencils. It's all too early to even start talking about that sort of thing. That's what I think anyway. What do you think? Oh, that's right. They were talking about not teaching writing at school, which is daft. Someone said, what about signature? You need a pen for a signature. Someone else said, oh, you can do that on your iPad. Write your signature with your fingernail, which is true. But uh, anyway, there we are. I shall leave that there. I think it's almost time to go. Trish has bought me a cup of tea, which is nice. My voice is getting rougher and rougher. Ruff, ruff. So I think I might give that a rest and perhaps give your ears a rest. <laughs> I shall see you on Wednesday, of course. Well, you'll hear me on Wednesday with a midweek message. What's the date today? It's the 6th, so you'll be listening to this tomorrow. The 7th, that's the first week done. So take care, look after yourselves, do everything that I wouldn't do and more and have fun. Enjoy yourselves. Thanks for listening. Bye bye for now.